Poetry night. Four's a scary number. Poetry night rings through. So uh, you're from Seattle, right? I, I did a little. I, ha- I hunted you down. Uh, I found your LinkedIn um, website. There's actually a pastor. Also named Brian. No, I kind of figured that pastoring and poetifying don't really go together, unless you're Solomon, Solomon it up or something. But no. <clears throat> so, uh, and you work at the Seattle Art Museum, cataloging. Is that what? So, uh, everybody, Brian Edenfield. Okay, uh, thanks for having me. This is all foreign to me. Uh, I have This is my first time in Bellingham. Um, this microphone is foreign to me. Can I talk at it? Oh, like, like this? Okay. I feel like I should hang from the ceiling, like, torture sex style, but probably not. Um... In that spirit, this this first thing is called balls. Balls. Artists take themselves too seriously, but so do anthropologists. Why don't they all just gather the open sounds of the alphabet, the scum sounds, the market air sounds, the sounds of moaning dermis and thumping walls, and relax a bit in that hairy, tropic-down hard home, clothed in nooses and cocks and teeth around distracted cuticles, tickles, playthings. Why don't they just suck some evolutionary glands and stop ruining our erotic baths and shopping experiences and billboards that remind us of fucking? Kiss it. Blue Bloom When I was a kid, I wanted to learn to play my heartbeat Blue Bloom, Blue Bloom, Blue Bloom Because I thought I could be alive better Blue Bloom, Blue Bloom, Blue Bloom And the idea that it bat automatically Blue Bloom, Blue Bloom, Blue Bloom Made me think I was sick, like sneezing. Blue bloom, blue bloom, blue. Thank you. Um, Okay, so I'm reading from a couple of things, a couple of books that I have over there. Um, The latest one is called Glossolopolis Number One, Um, and it's it's. A collection of poetry. Those those two pieces were from that. Uh, I'm going to read from my previous book, which is called 33 Opening Paragraphs. So, a uh, little explanation, I suppose. Um, 33 Opening Paragraphs is 33 opening paragraphs from 33 different fictional books 
um, by a variety of different imaginary authors. And all of these authors, these, these imaginary authors, are connected in one way or another through a invisible fictional city um, called Silver Cliffs. And Silver Cliffs resides on the border um, of Arizona and California. I grew up in Arizona, uh, so that's, that's somewhat significant, I suppose. Um, so that's, that's kind of the backstory of this book. Um, so this first thing, this first paragraph, is from a book called Smoke School by Jacob Walter, who um, was a crazy person in Silver Cliffs, a kind of semi-homeless, ne'er-do-well eccentric who eventually, sadly, killed himself and spent some time in uh, mental institutions and thought that he... I don't know if anybody knows uh, the, the author um, Robert Balzer, um, but Robert Balzer wrote a book called Jacob von Guten, and uh, Jacob Walter was obsessed with this book, and he wrote a book called Smoke School that he thought of as a remake of Jacob von Guten, um, and he thought he was a re essentially a reincarnation of Robert Balzer or, and or the character, the main character in Jacob von Guten. That's probably a lot more explanation than you need to understand this first paragraph, which has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. Um, but it's interesting, I think, even though everything I just said totally made up. Um, yeah. Or is it? No, it is. I made it up. Um, so this is called Smoke School. It's the first paragraph from Smoke School. I don't find it pleasant when people smile. Why should it please us, animals baring their teeth? I don't know anything about evolution or instincts, but I don't think the smile was designed to make people comfortable. Sure, maybe when someone is in a small group, a person sitting with his friends, for example, in that small group, the smile might be somewhat positive. Everyone in the little pack huddles together and bares their teeth and howls in laughter, grunts and snorts and stretches their face wide, a show of solidarity, perhaps. But the outsider, I think, walking by this pack of snarling wolves, is intimidated by the smiles. I'm intimidated. They have their own secret world to growl at, and I am not invited. And maybe they laugh at me. Maybe they smile when they pass me in the hallway or in the parking lot. The smile isn't comforting. It doesn't make me happy, and it doesn't make me think that they are happy. I think they want to attack me. I think they grin and guffaw because they want to kill me. I'm afraid of them, I admit it. I'm afraid of everyone. Um, this next one is um, from a children's book by Carol R. Sugar. The children's book is titled The Gentle Blue Mist of the Sea Intoxicates Me. <clears throat> Gail and Benjamin Cloud had each other, shared a mother and a father, and lived inside of a giant turtle. Both siblings were bright, though Benjamin stammered and had difficulty hearing, and Gail was a mischievous prankster with a penchant for leaping without looking. Their father was named Lyndon, but they didn't call him that. They called him Pop. 
and their mother, she was named Gretchen. Gail sometimes called her that because she thought the name was pretty, but otherwise they called her mom. Pop enjoyed word games and had a variety of nicknames for both children. Mom's dark humor sometimes flew toward melancholy, but she lightened her dismal thoughts with frequent song. As mentioned before, they all lived inside of a giant turtle, and this turtle's name was Peter, and he swam through the ocean to various lands with only his whim to guide him. Peter could not talk, but the Cloud family knew how the turtle felt by looking at their walls. They changed colors, you see, depending on Peter's mood. Thanks. Uh, so that that was the opening paragraph of um, the gentle blue blue mist of the sea intoxicates me. This next one is from um, a short story called Vespiary by Lyndon Loom Wise. And uh, to you know to break my kind of meta world here, this is actually a short story I've written. It's like I have the whole thing. Those other ones. I don't always necessarily. This one is a, a fully complete short story, but this is just the first part. It's titled Vespiary. My grandfather is dying. He is 88 years old and he can't remember my name, but he has it written down somewhere along with my phone number and my address. Somewhere in that little apartment of his on Lanula Street, he has a picture of me from when I graduated from high school and a copy of the terrible poem I published when I was 16. Title, Time, A Curiosity. He has the only two letters I wrote to him while I was in college. He has four Christmas cards my ex-wife and I sent to him while I was a copy editor for the newspaper. And he has every issue of that newspaper from 2003 through 2008 and every issue of the paper I wrote for while I was in college from 1998 to 2002. He has a copy of my mother's birth certificate and thousands of photos of her, of her and I, of her and my father, of her and her sisters and her brothers, of me as a small child, of my brother as a small child and a teenager, of his parents and his sisters, and of himself in a tree or digging a ditch. He has a copy of the paper that ran my brother's obituary, the same paper that ran his sister's obituary and his mother's and his father's. He has those two along with various issues of various papers from throughout the century. He has my wedding invitation. He did not attend. There was no... Div he has my wedding invitation. He did not attend. There was no invitation to the divorce, so he does not know about it. I'm going to read a couple more from this. Um, this one is called In Transit. It's by a fictional version of me, Brian Edenfield. Uh, and the Brian Edenfield that wrote this um, it has a just amazing writerly conviction and finishes long novels. So this is one of the long novels he finished. But I didn't. Some say they remember the womb. They don't believe me, not because I think it is impossible, but because such a memory would be unutterable. Language would not support, could not describe that habitat. Even the warm, wounded word of the womb does not approach that prenatal world, an alien world that must come before civilization, before words. 
but we can hear the songs of humanity inside, feel the pangs of life against the walls. In this first room, our cities and valleys, our machines and spirits, our aches and joys echo around and tumble awkwardly outside, like ghosts scratch, like ghosts scratching at a window pane. We may think we are safe in our dark oasis of heaven, and some may claw at the walls for fear of ever leaving, and some may die there in their little bliss. We, though, have all been banished from that garden. Our birth is the first great transition from utopia to this. Stranger Constellations by Bridget Loom. I know, but let me tell you about a dream I had last night. I walked down the stairs and saw in the kitchen this woman, taller than most women, with light red hair like blonde sunshine. I see her frequently walking down the street. She has full pink lips, and I never see her eyes because she wears those movie star sunglasses. Now she was in my kitchen wearing an apron and a pair of blue jeans and a tank top. She stood by the sink, her back facing me, and she was not washing dishes but simply running her hands under cold water. She mumbled to herself, and I still couldn't see her eyes, and I heard her speak about the stars in the sky. When you look up, she said, into the sky, they are so far away, the stars, and they look like simple small white dots. But if you could get closer, crawl right up next to them, you would see that they are big glowing red globes of fire. I'm going to drop things anymore. Uh, I'm going to read a new, uh, I wrote this like really recently, so I have to read it off of this contraption here. Um, it's called... I don't even remember what it's called. It's called Hearing Walls. <clears throat> Hearing Walls. A story. Some human gunk entered the building I invented and thought thoughts. All hallways are behind walls, not between doors, not leading somewhere, but moving alongside, secretly, like creek and road. All hallways are colorless but white, a murmur, a ghostly wavelength, a vibration of the retina, the signal, non-visual, blabbers to the cortex, or something, I'm an architect, not a scientist, and hallucinates inside of the skull. A hexagonal handle, a black window, red oak, salt and musk. If you've smelled the story of the X-ray bat, you are familiar, dear listener, with architecture that traps the body without permission. Broken angles sound like this. A noontime tide of dried wings crashing into rocks of glass. Or, the bones in your neck harmonized with a tsunami. The curved staircase, the curved staircase, roses of linoleum, sounds similar, though language cannot exactly mimic without resorting to childish onomatopoeia, to the giant sequoia, falling on an aluminum house. Even kids can't explain it. 
And the chandelier doesn't sound like anything, darling. Let's not kid ourselves. Silence has a wake, a riptide, that can drown out the longest of aches, the most sublime of symphonies. Silence is an orchestra that will tear down this house. And so, acting wisely, I hung destruction above the bumpy floor and watched it sparkle like an earthquake. The wooden walls, stone walls, plaster brick, marble, and paper walls capture voices differently and, rever and reverberate invertebrate candle billows alternating not so much light dark or quiet loud, but austere and melting. If no one hears you or your loved ones, it's for the best. I nearly slipped there and said beast. Those idiots who say the walls have eyes or flies or some bullshit, they don't know the half of it. Thanks. So yeah, that, that that might not be the same in a month, but I kind of liked it, so I wanted to try to read it out loud. I hope you liked it too. <clears throat> so the I'm going to read a few more from from Glossolopolis. Um, they're they're not the most linear things I think compared to what we've been hearing so far tonight. Um, I, it might just sound like uh, linguistic vomit. Um, I'm kind of into that. So I hope you are too. Um, but, you know, there's cents buried in here somewhere, I hope. Uh, no dollars, though. Just cents. Smile. It's only a psychological reaction, I assure you. A pulsating of neurons. A semantic discharge in silence. Relatives. When I move one way, my brother becomes <clears throat> excuse me. When I move one way, my brother becomes dead, and when I move the other way, my sister drops out accidentally, by no womb, siblings in absentia. When I stand still, I can see my father's legs, tattooed with the map of my conception, but if I bend down to peek at his face, I just see my mother watching reruns of American, Gladiator, American Gladiators, because really, she's thinking about gardens and sneezing. Pistol. Kill me, man. Bang, bang, you're dead. From the architect's breast to your mangled claw, a fevered scribble after that long thundered thaw. Her icicle kiss fogged over his eyes, the cathedrals draped in satin strands and silk scraps, thread bored by spiders spooling down into the tree husk's jaw, carry away the gargoyles and angels aloft, like whispers under the queen's ear, dance away, away, fall. Take your good hygiene, Jennifer. Prance your noble cunt over the gallows, killer, cause dirt devil be happening like swarms of starlings imitating the push and gorge of a black hole. Shoot him dead sinister. Two more? That sound good? Okay. Scholars. Hicks are right to distrust academics. They never stop talking about statistics, 
and the database, and all they eat is cured meats and kale. Never a race car. Never a sudsy one. Always going to Siena for the summer and wearing scarves and reading bestsellers about the fall of civilization and writing pop tracks on why economics matter to rednecks and cute women and drug dealers. They bore into culture with their specialized eyes and forget how to fucking tussle, how to French the wind, how to fart in public like a pro. They're so gung-ho about voting for cowboys and reading the newspaper and asking questions about God. Lighten up. Stop licking bigwig dick. Grow a pear. I'm going to end um, with this this poem called Excrete. Um, I'm a fan of this one. I think it's my favorite in here. It's called Excrete. <clears throat> I stared long for maybe eight days shortly after Chinese New Year. I know, because of the crackles outside and pink paint on the sidewalk. Listen. We're terrified of the drip-drip. The leaky faucet rusts and decomposes to reveal, underneath that stainless steel store-bought silver exterior, a reef of brown bones and yellow veins, diseased with pus from years of disrepair. Who cares? Saddened, I lift my tongue, now forked from self-surgeries. I took kitchen scissors and whiskey, and though dull and still stupid sober, carefully cut into the pink dumb flesh of that wobbly wet urchin, the mouth snake, the dick of my teeth, and glided along the sinewy corrosion, the sick snot of aged plumbing, and remember the image of clogged drains, matted hair, chemicals joyously ripping lint apart. Thanks for having me. Bye. And he's an acrobat. Do you see that jump off the stage? Brian Edenfield, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Let's get back to what we're doing here. And that, by the way, is poetry. Poetry, poetry. That's poetry. That's poetry. Poetry and... Poetry and... Poetry and fake goods. Fake goods. Fake goods. Fake goods. Fake goods. Fake goods. Like your daily value in just two bites. In just two bites. Poetry.